Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Today, Elder Mike Van Fleet brings us a message titled Biblical Leaders. Join us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning to everybody here and on the live stream. Welcome to Vail Christian Church. If you're new, I'm so glad you're here. It's exciting when new, new folks come. I'm going to talk about the purpose of our church and the, its origin a little bit. Not this church, but like Christ Church. So I'm excited for you to hear that. I'm not normally up here on Sunday. Those, most of you know who I am. I'm Mike Van Fleet. I'm an elder here at the church. Um, but you see me around, so I don't need to introduce myself too much. Um, but I'm here mainly because Ben is off taking some time to be with his new and first grandchild. His grandson was born just a few months ago. Um, and today I'm going to speak, when he and I talked about um, me being up here, usually it, it, it revolves around kind of my dual role. I'm a, I'm a leader here at the church. I was with him when we planted this church. I've been around a long time with us, helped guide who we become. And um, in my professional life, I'm a professional leader. Some of you may know me or recognize me. I lead large teams, and I have for a long time. So I have this kind of dual perspective of just leading. All I, all I have to do in my life, I feel like, is lead folks. Um, and so I want to bring that, and because of that, he had me break out of his series. So we've been doing the series in John, Into Darkness. In fact, that's what the bumper was for. I'm not going to talk to John today. I'm going to talk about biblical leadership and, and I hope to bring it in a way that gives you a perspective on, on the church and how we are led, both based on what the Scripture says and how we set it up here. Um, by now, we, we've become a fairly large church. You know, just turn around 15 years later, and we're awful, awful large. Um, but we still maintain a very not complicated way of, of governing and running it. We're an independent Christian church. There's five of us, including Ben, on the leadership board. And those of us who are elders, we, we do the duties of an elder that you see in the Scripture. We, we're there to pray. We're there to shepherd and guide and teach. And here, you know, in this organization, we guide the long-term strategy of where this church goes, who we're going to be as a church, what we focus on, as well as should we build, should we not build, where should we buy property, those kind of big strategic decisions uh, we weigh in on. But it's, it's pretty simple and pretty basic behind the scenes, partially because at our heart we have these values, and one of them is simplicity. We just keep things simple. It's actually written out. One of the ends of Vail Christian Church is just stay simple because that's the beauty of Christ. He provides all. We don't need to provide a ton. And we have a value that's about being under the authority of Scripture. And that really guides how we've set up our leadership. We have a small team that's focused on seeking God's wisdom. We meet regularly to try and stay aligned with each other and aligned with Christ so that we're making wise decisions. And that's how we've done it, and the Lord has blessed us. Um, today when I talk, I want to bring in kind of this perspective on biblical leadership that dates back to the origins of the church. And in order to do that, if you're going to talk about how to lead an organization, and I've been through lots and lots of like how to build a team to do something at work. And really the main focus should be, what are you trying to do? The, the leaders of an organization should reflect the goals you know, they should be in place to do what the organization is, is all about. 
And to start, I need to go back to what our church really is, what is our purpose and objective, before I get into where we'll be today, 1 Peter and Ephesians 4, on biblical leadership. In the, in the beginning, you know, right when Jesus came on scene, the life of one of God's followers was very different, right? At that time, the Israelite people um, had been taken, you know, their, their sovereign nation of Israel had been taken captive. And dating all the way back to their origins, you got to be in that group specifically and exclusively because God chose the sons of Jacob to be the Israelite people. They were the chosen people. That's how you got to be in it. If you were an Israelite, that's because you could trace your lineage back to one of the sons of Jacob. It's difficult for us to put that in our perspective because we've lived a life where we've always known the church is the place where the heart of Christ pushes out to reach others and make new disciples. Everything is about trying to spread his message and bring more in. That's, it. That's how we understand and relate to God. His heart is to grow and save and to, you know, and to have community with us intimately. There's no barriers between us and the Lord. We're, we're intimate relationship with him. Neither of those two things existed for anybody who was a follower of God before, before Christ. In fact, it was pretty much forbidden that they intermarry and mix with folks around them. So any kind of pursuit to go reach others was preposterous. You'd never hear a, you know, a person at that time go, hey, how can we go minister to these Gentiles and like, bring the word of God to them? It's totally foreign to them, and they related to God very differently. Through the priests at the time, there were, there were things about how they lived that were very different. In the years leading up to Jesus' ministry, leadership of their community was taken over by some pretty overbearing religious leaders, teachers of the law. Strict adherence to that law was like paramount in how they lived out their faith and their practices and their rituals and the precision to what they did it. The precision of the teaching of the law was, was huge. If you were a person at that time, you know, like any one of us would have been, we might have been a little bit fearful of even tangling with one of these teachers of the law. I mean, they were kind of intimidating. Who's to say whether the media and TV has got it right, but they're always portrayed in these sort of intimidating gowns and very like proper and carrying sometimes things with smoke coming out of them. It's, it's scary, right? You wouldn't want one of these people to tangle with you and accuse you of like not being aligned with the precise law. There was no mission of the people like we have. There's no mission or objective beyond living out your daily life in accordance with God's law and his scripture. The, the leaders, these teachers of the law, they were, they were good at it. They, they were good at their job because they taught that word of God, the law, with extreme precision. They were experts at selecting the best of the best students to come be their students, to teach under them as their chief rabbi and pass on their understanding and their perspectives on God's law. And when necessary, you would contend with individuals in the community who maybe got out of line or threatened the status quo. But by and large, you were there to represent the precision of the law. That was, that, I'm trying to paint a picture of the perspective of what it was like then. Enter Jesus. 
He comes to bring salvation and a new mission, a purpose for his people that he was about to assemble in a whole new way. His brief ministry would fundamentally transform how Christ's followers gathered and related in community and related to their God. The prevailing belief at the time, as a lot of you are familiar, was that's not what the Savior was going to come and do. The Savior was going to come as a king or a military leader that would restore the sovereign nation of Israel to bring it back to the way it was when they were their own country with their own land, led by now, though, the Savior, not a human king. So it was go back to the way it was, but even better. And that's what people were looking forward to and expecting. But Jesus, we know he didn't come like that. He came as a rabbi, and he spoke in these parables to a group of commoners that he assembled to be his disciples. And those parables were awful confusing as he taught them about this thing he called the kingdom. Not because the technical details of the parables were beyond the intellect of the people to understand. Like we teach these things to our grade schoolers. They're not like hard to get. Like you can, oh yeah, the prodigal son, he like went away and then came back and there was this... We can understand the story. So what was confusing about him? I always find that odd. People say, oh, these parables were confusing to people. And I read them like, these things are not confusing. They're not. They're easy to understand, actually. But what that confusion was is in order to really understand what he was saying and actually believe it, you had to believe that he came with the authority of God to fundamentally change how the followers of the Father related, interacted with him. He, that was the stumbling block, is that to believe those things were true about this kingdom that we were going to become, that this guy could actually do it. He had, he had to be the Son of God, and that was a stumbling block. Is you, you couldn't come to believe that these things were true unless you're willing to say, this guy really is who he said he is. And those parables talked about this kingdom that you know, it was like a tree that would grow from a small seed into a, an enormous mustard tree plant, or it was a field that was planted and grew and was harvested at its appointed time and have a yield many times over. By It was a thing that was both new, the kingdom was new, and it was close. It was far away. It, you know, you had to really wrap your mind around this guy... He, he is talking about something that he can do. He can do this. When he spoke about the, the community he was making, it was profound. In, that, in the one scene, the people he's talking to refer to his family who's sort of off at a distance. And he said, not in the kingdom, those aren't my family. The kingdom will be my true family. And he, in that, he was redefining their community structure and how they related to him. This this kingdom was transformational, and the, the, the entryway to it had nothing to do with bloodline, and it had everything to do with growth and expansion, things that were transformationally different to the people at the time. When he was crucified, it cemented a new trajectory for all of us. It capped off the story of the gospel that we you know, the good news, the gospel that we continue to talk about and recite today. If you hear somebody say, what is the gospel? 
a little bit squishy, but very precise in its like main points. I'll put some of them up here. You know, the, the main leading point is Jesus was the Son of God. He came to earth. He was tortured, died, buried, resurrected as the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. If there's a second bullet, is it that sacrifice made us right with God, atoned for our sins so that we would have access to him now and in the future until he brings his eternal kingdom, which he will bring and we will be a part of eternally. That is the gospel message, as you'll most commonly hear it said, and rightly so. Those are the main points of what the gospel is. But those alone don't cover the entirety of what Jesus came to teach on. There was more of it. They can't be taken just by themselves. He also was redefining and establishing this new community. He actually talked as much about his atoning sacrifice and him being killed as the kingdom. He's always talking about this is the kingdom. This is what it's going to be. And that's what he was talking about. Not just these things, but he was commissioning the church. That's what he was doing when he's talking about the kingdom. Because when in Acts, the church was launched. That was the practical spread of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. The important theological point here is that Jesus' intention was always that. His followers would gather in a new way and be in community in the thing that he was starting. We would be together. The kingdom is like a mustard seed that on his command sprouted continues to grow today into a large tree that is the church that we are and ultimately will be transformed into New Jerusalem when he comes back and returns and sets up his everlasting kingdom. That's what it is. We are in the kingdom being grown and launched, which is God's plan and part of his gospel message. After his resurrection, he came, and it's recounted in a few different ways in different Gospels, but he gave us this thing called the Great Commission. It was our purpose. Most commonly here it said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. Go! Mind-blowing to the people at the time that, that God came, the same God that had been teaching them to like be inward focused and now go. 180-degree shift, guys, outward-focused, and you're directly connected to me. You don't need anybody else. You're direct connected to me. The, the Jewish culture, the Israelite people at the time, they didn't just roll over and become the church. It was a brand new thing. Started with new principles, new objectives, and new purposes. That's the kingdom. Following the departure of Jesus, the expansion of the church, the growth of this thing that he laid the principles for is recounted in Acts as the, the early church leaders worked out and figured out how to do this thing that Jesus modeled to grow and build a new community. They were aggressively seeking out and planting churches, teaching. You can read in the, in the in Acts, where the Holy Spirit is guiding them, guiding those new believers on how to live together. They were teaching publicly in the temple courts and in other areas. They were meeting in their homes to live out their faith in the way that God designed and had a new heart for his people. 
Paul was off planting churches in Asia Minor on his missionary journeys. As he went, he would start a church and establish elders that would be charged with leading that local body right there, and he would move to the next town. Sometimes it was Titus, sometimes it was Timothy. They went and spread churches like wildfire. And then you'll read in, in a lot of Paul's letters, he was instructing those new communities on God's design of how they would be organized and assembled in family units and church units and relate to the bigger church. Sometimes they call those the family text if you're reading like theological books. It's how he taught us how to organize and live. And it's the same setting that we see the letters that we're going to talk about today where he talks about leadership, about he's, he's establishing a new design, a new community organization that was built around facilitating this mission that included growing, making new disciples, but then growing those in the church to be more and more like Christ, connected into the head that Christ our Father is. That Those are the two missions and the, the, the leaders of the church that were needed now were different than the leaders that were there before, and they needed to do a new thing. That's when we read Peter here just momentarily, Keep that perspective in mind is that Peter is telling new leaders how to lead in a different way for a new community that was transformational for them. It's in 1 Peter 5, 5, 1 through 5. So as your fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering and as the one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, I urge the elders among you, give a shepherd's care to the flock among you, exercising oversight not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction. Not for shameful profit, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Let me pull just three key points of instruction out of this teaching right here, which is all about how to be a biblical leader in this new church. A shepherd's care to the flock. The shepherd's job was not nine to five. It's 24-7. You are living with the flock, continuously guiding them to food when they ate the food where they were, to places where there was shelter, to places where there were protection, it was a full-time job, and that's the same kind of engaged leadership that Peter is painting a picture of when he's talking to these new elders. You're no longer disconnected. You're embedded part of leading this community. That's in contrast to leading out of, you know, duty, like it says, or just mere duty. When the, when the leader is detached, you know, from his care, they're really just managing and stepping in as necessary to like make small corrections. That's how the Sadducees and Pharisees were described. They were aloof and not connected with the people that they were leading. In fact, the positions that they held as teachers of the law really didn't require them to lead anything at all. They didn't actually need to lead. They just needed to instruct in the law and provide some correction, and they could actually probably do their job just fine in their minds meeting together and talking about the law, 
without engaging much with the people at all. Peter's instruction is different. It's no, you are engaged, you're connected with these folks because your role is interwoven with the purpose that I've given all of you. Just like a, if there is no flock, the role of the shepherd is irrelevant. There's no need for him. What's he doing? Just walking around in the woods. In the same way, if there's no church to lead, there is no need for the elders. That's, if, that's how you should think about it. There's no need for overseers if the body isn't there actively doing and achieving the purpose that it's been given. The next point is be an example to the flock. A shepherd's job, it's a hands-dirty kind of leadership. You're there providing examples. I don't know if you've seen that like YouTube video out there where there's like the sheep stuck in a ditch and like they work really hard to get it out and it like runs right back in the ditch. That's hands-dirty right there. And as much as you provide an example, like the guy's like, run this way, and the thing's like, not following the example. But that, that type of leadership where you're providing an example, that is how Christ led. Everything that he led his disciples through, he modeled and did. And when Peter is instructing the new leaders to lead that way, really what he's doing is saying, guys, you should lead just like I saw Christ lead me. That's how you should do it. Do it just like him. Be an example in all things. We, we read these books sometimes as elders, and we meet like for a couple hours every other week. So we read books and talk about them and try and sharpen each other. And we're reading this crusty one called 21 Laws, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And we go through like one at a time. And this last weekend, we talked about a chapter that was true leadership versus positional leadership. And that's the exact difference, I think, that Peter is talking about here. You have leaders who lead from their position leaders who are actually leading. And, and Jesus was a true leader. He had the position. He had the authority. You don't see him leading from that position. You see him leading through the quality of his leadership and the examples that he was providing. Very different than how leadership was being done at the time with the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, that, that, was their, that was their way. They were positional leaders. You know, if somebody challenged them, they wouldn't say, well, I taught you to do it this way. Why aren't you? They would have said, I am this guy. I have this role. You need to listen to me because it's my position. That's not how Jesus modeled it. He raised the bar to where we're to be true leaders. We're not claiming a position or a piece of, you know, an, an elevated authority, but we're, people are following because of the quality of the leadership. In that same book, there's this crusty quote by Margaret Thatcher. It's really kind of funny. It says, leadership is like being a lady. If, people, if you have to tell people you are, you aren't. <laughs> and I just love that. That's something that nobody would say today. You'd probably get canceled for that. <laughs> but it's sort of true if you let it, you know, if you have to like explain to somebody, like, hey, don't you know I'm in charge here? You're probably not leading, actually. And it is, it's an example to uh, us. It speaks to us. If, if we as leaders in this church, and there are many of us, and that's one of the things we're going to get to, there's many leaders in, in God's kingdom now. 
if we're leading by way of example and people are following the position or the level of authority is irrelevant because leadership is happening because it's oriented around seeing to it that things are getting done. The last little point here is clothe yourselves with humility. He switches from speaking to just leaders to everyone. He speaks, when he calls out young, young people, you know, be subject to your elders. But then he says, do it clothed in humility. He's really talking to everyone, not just those young people. And the, the point of humility here, the, the, the meaning behind it is, is really the recognition that the design of God's church how it's organized and the people in it. That's, that's God's design. It's Christ's church, and we're recognizing that he established it this way, and we're fulfilling our roles, whether it's to be a leader in some capacity with others following or if it's to follow. It's, it's his design, and it's his church. We should be trustworthy of that because it is God's design. He equips and establishes those who are to lead and gives them the gifts necessary to lead. He's put those people in that position. Further, we need to understand, and this is what this teaches, is that the people who are leading have been instructed to put aside personal interests and seek the will of the Father and of Christ when making decisions. It's a big distinction. You know, it's how we organize is different than you might see like in a democracy um, but the distinction is, is that we are following the model of leadership in the organization that Christ has defined. Now, I want to shift and pivot just a little bit and bring in Ephesians, and because in Paul's teaching there, he he can he adds to this definition of a biblical leader that we see in Peter, and connects it to if leaders are effectively leading. Here's how it connects to the body achieving the purpose of the ministry that they've been charged with. That's, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, build up the body of Christ until we attain the full unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. You immediately see the principle we were just touching on there is that the church and its leadership is God's design. He equips those who are put into the leadership positions and commissions them to be in those places. When Paul was going to churches and establishing new churches, the thing that he taught was that Church leadership was appointed and established by existing trustworthy leadership. And that gave confidence to the New Testament believers at the time because they were the ones who were following these newly appointed elders. You know, but Paul is saying these folks are appointed and they are assigned to those positions with the understanding that they are leading Christ's church. That gave them confidence, and we should have the same confidence today because if leaders are being selected in full humility to the positions they're they're going into and they are being selected with the criteria of biblical church overseers that we see in Timothy in mind 
then we know that the intent of God's church is going to be met in the leadership by those individuals. That's how it was laid out, and that's how the confidence was given to the new churches as they spread, and it should exist today with us. Now, what does this all mean for me? I'm going to jump quickly into that because the second part of Ephesians very much speaks directly to you and I. And it's a statement that they make. The leaders are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Again, a giant change from what people at the time would have experienced. The saints are all of you. The saints are how they speak to the whole body of believers. And it's saying the role of the leader is to not do the work per se, but it's equip the entire body to do the work of the ministry. It's on all of us to do the work of the ministry. And the leader's role is to equip and facilitate that. I got to see that really clearly with a lot of you in our Rocky Point mission trip, building, you know, building trips to go build a house down in Puerto Penasco. I've led probably a dozen house crews by now. I, I love to build. I love to build. My father had a construction business. I grew up with a hammer. It's so much more practical than like this, right? I, 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 my natural place is like building and doing, and you'd have to pry that hammer out of my hand down there. But if, if I'm honest with, with, with myself, that's not my role. My role is to make sure everybody on the crew knows how to do what they need to do and what they need to do it, and that they're equipped to be successful. That's the main role of that, of that person. I exist down there to make the crew effective at what they're doing in their purpose. And only maybe if I'm training somebody how to like nail a hammer, should I really be swinging it? Or maybe if everything is going so well, I can take a little time for myself to have fun. Um, but that's how we should lead here with the perspective that all of us who have some capacity of leadership, if we're doing something by ourselves, we're missing the opportunity to pull somebody alongside of us and teach them to equip them to fill in to do the work of the ministry as well. Because we need more shepherds. There's more work in the new church where we are given the commission to go and make disciples. There is, there is a lot of work that needs to be led. We need more shepherds. That's what you see in the New Testament. They're running into situations where people are spread all over, we're, we're not getting food passed out to people that need food get passed out to them. We had to elect deacons to help us do that. There were teams of leaders, just like we have here. We have teams of community group leaders, teams of student leaders, teams of service team leaders. We have so many leaders, we have teams of leaders. And, and it's, it's not dysfunction. It's necessary. It's necessary because the thing that we're doing is such an undertaking to see to it that all the things need to, that are being done are being seen to, and they're orchestrated in their plan, it requires a, a lot of leadership. Sometimes it feels like in order to do what God has called us to, which is reach outside of this room to the Vail community, we need to be a church full of leaders. So my ask is those of you who have leadership gifts, whether you're using them at work, at home, wherever, those gifts are there to provide for the building up of the church. Use the gifts that you have. Start small. Find a place to be responsible for something. 
just see to it that one or two things get done. We would love to continue to spread it out, not just because of where we are, but where we're going. It requires more of us to lead and to direct, and we need to be doing it in a way that Peter describes. Leading the flock as embedded leaders, providing an example to those under our care. The last little, what does it mean for me, nugget I want to talk about is this thing we say, this is one expression of Vail Christian Church. It's kind of this goofy thing that we, we say in a way, if you look, think about it, like one expression, what does that mean? Um, and Kevin talked to it just a little bit. It's, it really drives the point that this isn't church per se. This is the meeting of the body of believers at Vail Christian Church. But the church is much larger than that, and it can have many expressions. If you come up on the campus on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, you see run for God, and you see classes, and you see youth running all over the place, all different expressions of who we are. The totality of of God's people is fleshed out in many different ways because it's a community of believers that Christ has assembled we, we have many different ways of manifesting and being, and that's, that's the point of that statement. If you look at the early church and go, what, was it, what were the expressions of the early church? Like if we would have said that to them after they got done kind of chuckling at us, go, what is one expression of the early church? And they would say, well, we go to public places, temple courts, and we teach. And because of the way people live, they're there to observe what's going on, and then they come over and we have an opportunity to share our faith and they see us as a whole group together and that's how people are being added to their number daily. It's their main, main approach. That place, it doesn't exist here in Vail. It doesn't exist in many towns in the United States. There's no place that we can just go and gather and teach and others are walking by going, I wonder what those guys are doing. It sounds cool. That doesn't exist. We live isolated and far away. If you look at really, and you were in the room and we were making the decision as an elder team to buy this property and build a facility, the root of it was to create the temple courts in the public places where people could observe the body of believers. We had to make that place. That's why we're investing in it, because that's how people can see us together as the body of believers. Ask questions about why are you doing what you're doing and why is, why is this something that's so transformational to you? We're looking to build and expand. We've talked about it, right? Growth is coming. We had plans to build you know, another facility off here to the right, and we still do, although material prices kind of put the kibosh on that for a little bit, as well as like fuel prices now. Construction equipment like uses a lot of gas. It's, it's going to be tough, but it's still there. And we're also waiting, though, because this Valencia project is going to change us in a big way. They're going to take 60 feet of frontage and it's going to scrape off one of our 10 acres and we're going to get it back somewhere else. We have to wait to see how that plays out because it could give us different opportunities and how we position our buildings and actually how expensive they could be. But it's a, it's a big opportunity for us. So we're focusing now on influencing that, talking with our architects, trying to plan what if it plays out this way? How would that you know, allow us to do this, that, or the other thing? But the other thing I wanted to highlight, and it's, it's kind of the fun part of it, this message to me, is talk about what is that going to do for our ability to be 
present and visible to those in our community. We were scared, honestly, picking this location because it felt like it was away from the center of the Vail community, which we thought was down around Empire, which was where we were meeting. And turns out it wasn't. We almost bought the spot where Hot Rods is located, which that seems like it would have turned out bad, not just because it seems like that location is cursed, but <laughs> that bridge like really makes access difficult right there. It would have been tough to get everybody in and out there. And turns out with the push through of Valencia, this is now kind of the hub. And we're positioned now as about as close as we can be to little Valencia. But when little Valencia becomes giant Valencia, we're going to be that much closer. So I, I went and took this picture. This is what you see if you drive by going that way. Look out your car window at our church. I walked out in the street when there was no cars coming and took that shot. And you, you definitely can tell it's there. Um, people still know us by the church with a stone cross. That The ladder in the middle right there is where I took the next picture from, which I had to put there because when they make Valencia big, it's going to be just like Houghton, you know, massive earthwork and giant movement of everything and these huge culverts. And so the road's going to be like eight feet tall right there. And that's where the edge of the pavement is on the new design plan. So I went and stood up on that ladder and took the next picture, which is what people will now see when they drive by, which is like, whoa, you cannot miss what's going on here, which most of the time, Tuesdays, Wednesday evenings, and Sunday mornings is kids playing gaga ball, kids playing whatever out there, and the nine square, we're going to get a nice one of those, and it's huge activity. The body of believers, as close as they can possibly be to the people we want to reach, that's what we want. It would stink if this was your house and Valencia Road got so close that like they could look into your backyard, but if it's the church, it's it's huge opportunity for us and it's exciting. And just one more th- example of how God is bringing opportunity for us and we want to be ready to respond because it's it's a big difference if you put them side by side and like oh man it's going to be close we're going to see everything that's going on which is just what we want. We want the world to see the body of believers being the kingdom that Jesus made us to be. So be motivated. We are like on the precipice of some exciting times and we need to knuckle down. We didn't necessarily choose this for ourselves, but God chose us for it and he put us all in this position. So when I pray for us, everybody likes to pray for, let's pray for our leaders of the church. I'm praying for you guys because the work of the ministry is the job of the saints. I'm, <laughs> I'm praying for you guys because we need you to do that work so we can achieve the purpose that Christ gave us. Lord, thank you so much for your perfect design. Uh, thank you for um, transforming our community into something where we have access to you and a purpose that you gave us. Uh, what an honor. I pray for all of us in here that we are ready to take the charge of doing the work of the ministry, that we honor you, uh, we bring glory to your name, we grow up and to be more like you, and our work would help you change the hearts of those in this community and make more and more disciples and grow the kingdom. Lord, we love you. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.